Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 434 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Wednesday, July 20th, 2022, and it is one of our favorite days of the year. We have summer scrimmage video to overanalyze. The raw uncut is here. Uh, We have a pretty big time opponent also that is coming to Cameron next year. And we're also going to take a look at how Dukies did in in the NBA Summer League. But before we all do all that, Donald Wine here, your host for this episode. I have my two friends with me, Sam Klein and Jason Evans. First off, Sam, how's it going? Doing good. I am calling you from Chicago today. I think the last time we spoke, I was on the West Coast. So I'm slowly making my way back back to the East Coast and very excited to overanalyze the summer practice video. This is going to be a nice diversion for me from the overanalyzing of tidbits from Better Call Saul over the last two weeks that I've been fully immersed in. Yeah. Um, point of note for you, I don't think I've told you this yet, but I need you to get back to the to fully to Boston. If you're there on Saturday, let me know. I'm, coming, I'm actually going to a wedding this weekend in Cape Cod. It'll be my first time in Cape Cod. Um, so on the way, I won't have time on the way there, but obviously on the way back, you know, if you have a couple hours on Saturday, let me know. I'm, I'm so down. Where on the Cape are you going? Um, I think it's Chatham. Uh, okay. I have to, or, oh, no, I'm sorry, Brewster. Brewster is where the, the ceremony is. I'm staying in Hyannis. There's a wedding thing in Chatham. I, for those of you who have been to Cod, apparently those are three different places. Um, I'm going to experience them all. So <laughs> staying uh, in Hyannis and, and going to a wedding in Brewster means you need a ride. Yes, we have buses. So okay, we, are, good. we are covered there. Yeah. Well, yeah, good. We're That'll not be great. That. Yeah. Um, and then Jason Evans, you were in Atlanta. Jason, last time we spoke, you were in the midst of or preparing to renovate your house. How is that going? It's a long process. I mean, you know, renovations like this take two months or so, a little longer than two months. So we're about a month into it. It's amazing how fast some things happen. They ripped out everything in my downstairs, everything in my kitchen. It was nothing but pieces of, of, uh, of, of two by fours. You know, the framing of the house was like all that was left. And, and now I have walls again. And in fact, as of a couple of days ago, I have cabinets and things like that in my kitchen, but it's still going to be a month plus until my wife and I move back. So renovating a house from, you know, I, I haven't had to do it at my house, done a, you know, spot things here and there, but from what I hear, it is like getting a refund back for an, for a mischarge, right? They're quick to take it out, but putting it back is very, very slow, right? Like just like, yeah. you know, just like money, like you're taking the money out of your account. They're like, Oh, a refund. It's going to take four to five business days. That's kind of what a renovation is like. Yeah. And the other thing about it is every time you turn around, they go, oh, we've discovered this one other little thing that's going to cost a little more money. <laughs> Whatever you think, budget an extra 30%, 40%, 50% because there will be more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but a, enough about L- house. Luckily, <laughs> luckily, I'm earning these big bucks from Vox Media for doing the DBR podcast so I can afford it. Right, guys? <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. I think, I think uh, one like light fixture, we're going to take care of this episode. We're going to get, we're going to hook that up for you um, with this episode. I don't, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think it's going to work enough. that way. No, nah. but anyway, maybe the light bulb, the bulb, but not the, fixture. Oh, the bulb for sure. The bulb we can do a six pack <laughs> from Sam's club. Um, all right, gentlemen on Monday, Duke released video from his first summer scrimmage. So obviously we have to talk about it. These videos we, we like to call in this podcast, the raw uncuts rather ironically and in jest because the videos, as we know, are neither raw nor uncut. We only get about six minutes and 28 seconds worth of action in this first video, but it is a true glimpse at 
how this 2022-2023 squad will play on the basketball court this season. And of course, we get to overanalyze this short video and discuss all the play we saw from the team as well as from individual players. A couple of notes before we get started. Jacob Grandison is not in this video except at the very, very end. Uh, apparently, he has been nursing a minor injury, so we don't really see him much in this video, except giving out a couple of high fives at the end. He is still on campus and with the team. And as we've mentioned a couple of times, Tyrese Proctor is not yet with the team. He is still in Australia as he sorts out his visa for uh, the year to be able to come to the United States. So he will actually, be on campus. Actually, Donald, summer. it's not even that he was in Australia. It's that Tyrese Proctor was playing for the Australian national team at mm -hmm. the Asia Cup. And by the way, he has been kicking it. I mean, just destroying, doing great things at the Asia Cup. He's been one of the leading scorers for Australia in all their games. And again, he's not playing with other like we hear about guys playing with like the, you know, under 20 or under 18 national teams. He's with he's the big with team. Re he's with the big team and doing really, really well. If you are not excited about Tyrese Proctor in a Duke uniform next season, I don't know what to tell you, because I think this kid could be special. Also, quick tease, the Asia Cup will come up again later in this podcast, but we'll save that for later. Uh, so, But Jason, I'm going to go back to you. Yeah, we're going to set, set, set a record. Hey, Donald, we're going to set a record for mentions of the Asia Cup on the DBR podcast, aren't we? We've already we've already done two. We will have a <laughs> we'll have at least one more on here, but uh, I wanted to start with the overanalyzation of this team and I'm going to lead you with Jeremy Roach because we've all expected fans have expected him to be the floor general of this team with his Duke experience. What did you see from him in this video? We saw a lot of his play in these six and a half minutes. Well, I, first of all, I I want to share the caveat that you gave to folks, which is that this is an edited video. You know, we saw uh, coach Shire at the start of the video says that the guys are going to have a 10 minute scrimmage. And we saw, you know, a little more than six minutes of it. So there was stuff edited out, not a ton of stuff, but there was some stuff edited out. And, and we probably, they probably edited out, you know, some bad turnovers, some missed shots, some fouls and things like that. They're, they're not going to put out there the stuff that is the team not looking good, but we got a lot of video and you're right to start with Jeremy Roach. I thought he was the best player on the floor. Now that shouldn't come as a, a big surprise. We're talking about a, a, a very experienced point guard. Uh, clearly, you know, the, the most experienced guy who knows the Duke program, you know, by a factor of like 10. <laughs> um, but he was making driving layups. He was making pull-up jumpers. I think most of the time his shot didn't even touch the rim. Like it, it, you know, barely grazed its way through the net. And, and it wasn't just that he was taking and getting open shots. He, he didn't care if he was guarded. And there were several times where he would go straight to the rim and Derek Lively, who was on the other team, was waiting there. And Derek Lively is going to be one of the better shot blockers in all of college basketball next season. And Jeremy Roach did not care. He, he, went, he went to the rim. He, he drew the contact and put up really nice acrobatic shots I, I was super impressed with his offense. You know, we're not doing the stat game yet, but mm, man, I, there, there's definitely an argument that Jeremy Roach is going to lead this team in scoring next year. Now, with that said, I didn't see a lot of shot creation for his teammates. And, and I, I'd love to see more of that from Jeremy Roach. I, I think we will. Look, we had, there were games last year where Roach was getting, you know, eight, nine, 10 assists, uh, you know, when he had the ball in his hands a lot. And, and that was, you know, playing with other playmakers like Wendell Moore and, and Paulo Bancaro, uh, you know, he's going to be the primary playmaker this year. So, so I think we're going to see a lot of that from him. I, I, I'm just saying, you know, I'm going to try and give the good and the bad. 
I think the good is that Jeremy Roach shows he can score <laughs> in a big, big way. The bad is I want to see a little more creation from him, but it's fine. I, like I said, I thought he was the best player on the floor and Duke kind of needs him to be that. Yeah. And I, I will say this about just the team in general. Well, when you watch this video, to me at least, this video seems very slow in the sense that guys, yeah, they may be going full speed, but as a team, they're not moving very quickly on offense or defense. And that's for good reason. Again, this is the first summer scrimmage. It's the first time they're really figuring out how to play with each other on the court. And with that comes at least mentally a, a couple of steps slow so you can get into that rhythm. As we progress through the summer, the play, the tempo was going to pick up a little bit more, and these guys are going to be able to play faster because they're going to have to be able to play fast in college. Jeremy Roach and Ryan Young and, and Jalen Blakes and a couple other guys on this team understand what that means, but these freshmen don't yet, and these freshmen are going to learn this summer what it's going to be like to play in college. But, Sam, I want to go to you because we talked about Jeremy Roach, and one of the questions that we've had, again, is some of that experience and the other experienced player, at least from a Duke perspective is Jalen Blakes. So we saw a lot of Jalen Blakes in this compare what you saw from Jalen Blakes and, and not necessarily to Jeremy Roach, uh, but really like as that backup role, he's obviously fighting to be that backup point guard. Do you think you saw enough from this? At least again, we're overanalyzing, but what did you see from this video to, to compliment Jalen Blakes in that quest to be the backup point guard? Yeah, I'm not sure that if you told Duke fans this week, hey, you're going to get some scrimmage video, who are you excited to see that Jalen Blakes was at the top of that list? He obviously didn't get very much playing time last season. I think if he had decided to transfer for more playing time, we would have all wished him the best and, and thought that, uh, that that possibility was out there. All of that being said, he came back. He's clearly committed to playing at Duke. We talked to his high school coach last summer who had nothing but great things to say about his attitude and how hard he works. And I think you can see a ton of that in this video. I would not have thought before this that if Duke was running an eight-man rotation, that Jalen Blakes was going to be one of those eight. After watching this video, I feel like there's a much better chance of that or that there's a chance that Coach Shire is going to abandon the Coach K uh, rotation trimming and allow there to be more guys. I saw a lot of guys who who made interesting plays that I that I wouldn't have expected, but Jalen Blake's made the most of those. Uh, not just on offense, like being able to finish and 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 distribute, maybe even a little more than than Jeremy Roach did uh, to Jason's point earlier. But it also intrigued me that he was doing it on the floor with Kyle Filipowski and Derek Lively and Derek Whitehead. The, the three-star freshmen who I think we assume that they plus Jeremy Roach are definitely slotted for the starting lineup. Who that fifth starter is, I think, is, is very much up in the air. There's, there's a lot of talent between Proctor, Mitchell, even potentially Jaden Shute, and Jalen Blakes is, is in that conversation as well. I, I don't know that he's going to grab that, that starting spot, but I would not be surprised if he gets real minutes backing up Jeremy Roach and getting to play a wing position. He and Roach, for the most part, during this scrimmage, it seemed like we're guarding each other. So there wasn't a lot of them getting to play next to each other. But I love the way Jalen Blake, Jalen Blakes worked with those those star freshman bigs um, in the offensive sets. You know, the other thing about Jalen Blakes that I thought looked really great was he found Jaden shoot twice, um, once off of a rebound and the other time off of a fast break. To, to hit wide open three pointers. And, and it's clear that he and shoot had a little bit of chemistry together in that way. Uh, and, and by the way, shoot has an incredibly quick release. I mean, like 
You, you had his to be hands are always by... ready. His hands, yeah. if you notice, his hands were always out. And, and, and you guys can't see this out there listening, but he had his hands in a shooting ready position. And all he had to do is catch the ball. And once he catches the ball, he's already basically halfway through his stroke. That is, that is incredibly quick. And because of that, you're going to see a lot of Jaden shoot on the wing and in the corner, getting ready for those kickout threes. Because if he can catch and shoot with that type of quickness and hit with consistency, teams are going to have to stretch defenses. Yeah, the only other thing I was going to add about Jalen Blakes was we, we haven't seen Tyrese Proctor on this team yet. And, and I think it's, it's likely... It, it's Blake's may get some time early in the year. I think he may struggle for minutes as the season moves on as Tyrese Proctor gets worked in more and more, but, but we'll see. On the topic yeah. of the big men who Jalen Blake's got to play a little bit with on the, on the same team during this scrimmage, not that we, you know, that we expected otherwise, but Derek Lively and Kyle Filipowski to me both look like guys who are ready to step onto a high level college basketball team. They both made uh, pretty advanced plays on offense. Derek Lively has has an aggressive uh, shot blocking approach. We know that, that that's going to be the case around the basket. He already has a few post moves, as does Filipowski. I, you know, maybe one of the things I would like to see more of is the shooting that we that we think is going to come from Filipowski. But even if it's just the the mid-range game on offense that he showed, and there was even a little bit of high-low running between those guys. Uh, all of that was was really encouraging, not particularly surprising, but great to see. And and not only that, but Donald, I think we also wanted to talk about how the big man rotation could be just as strong, if not stronger this year than it was last year, given the addition of Ryan Young. Yeah. And I will say this. I think when it comes to Lively and Filipowski, I think you both are correct in saying that those two are ready to step on a basketball court. We saw a lot of chemistry between the two. I think their games are a little bit rawer than Ryan Young's, but that's that comes with reason. Ryan Young has been in college for a few years. He has more of a polished game in that regard. And I want to go back to last year for this reason. We said last year, and we saw this on many occasions, we really saw this throughout the progression of the year, Theo John made Mark Williams a better player. And I think Ryan Young has the capability to make Flip and Lively better players throughout the season. He's going to be pushing them. The way that his game is polished, especially on offense, is going to make them get better on offense, but also is going to hone their defense because he can give you a look at what an experienced center can give you on a nightly basis in the ACC or just in college basketball. And these guys are going to be able to adapt quickly to that because they have Ryan Young on this roster. So I, I like that. And I hope that that chemistry between those three guys, especially continues. And we, we saw some Christian Reeves in here. I don't think Christian Reeves is going to be playing a lot this year, but I also, again, he's going to be able to improve under Ryan Young's tutelage as well, because Ryan Young, like I said, has the most polished game of those guys, but also has, hopefully will have the ability to impart that wisdom to say, here's how you take your game to the next level. Guys, I'm fairly sure that Ryan Young led the team in scoring during that scrimmage. Oh yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm almost certain of that. You know, again, it was a it was a short scrimmage and, and we didn't get to see, you know, everything that happened in it. But but in terms of what we did see, Ryan Young was was getting buckets around the basket, uh, clearly showing, you know, it's sort of a people have called it an old man YMCA kind of game. And, and that's what game. it is. Yeah. It, it, there ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I mean, having a guy like that, it can be frustrating to the opposition because, by the way, some of those baskets he scored when Derek Lively was in the vicinity and, you know, 
wasn't like you know the the other big men around were not stopping what Ryan Young was trying to do around the basket, which is and, and yeah. Derek Lively's defensive skill set should be able to neutralize that a little bit yeah. more, I think, than it did, right? Because because Lively, uh, sort of similar to Mark Williams last year, is hunting the block shots. He's trying to stay around his man so that he can tip the ball out. Yeah. Now I I I, I want to be fair about something regarding Ryan Young. Um, he, he, he looks like he's slow on defense. I don't think that comes as a big surprise with a guy his size. I, I think he's going to struggle in switches, in pick and rolls and things like that. And, and Duke's going to have to sort of be careful about what kind of defense they play when Ryan Young is in the game. But Ryan Young is going to play because he is going to be a very effective back-to-the-basket post player. And I, Duke doesn't really have anyone like that. And, and I, I do want to push back a little bit on what you guys said about Kyle Filipowski. Uh, the, he had moments and he certainly showed good handle, good court awareness. He had a couple nice um, assists that he, that he had. And, and I loved, um, it, he seemed like a very opportunistic rebounder. Kyle Filipowski, most of the buckets he got were, were offensive putbacks off of, off of misses, but he also had a couple pretty bad turnovers. He looked like he was maybe trying to do a little more you know, he looked at, like he was trying to do stuff with the ball that he could get away with in high school, and he's not going to get away with against longer, bigger, quicker athletes in college. So, you know, the adjustment to me that Kyle Filipowski is going to have to make maybe a little more than some of these other guys, I'm I'm not I, – I, I'm a little concerned, let me just put it that way, about what we saw from Filipowski. He, he didn't look to me like a top five, top ten recruit, which is what he's supposed to be. He didn't look bad, but he just didn't, you know, there were a couple, like I say, just a couple of things, especially the turnovers that, that to me are sources of concern off of a guy who, who you figure is probably going to be running some offense for Duke. Well, I, I, I'm not as concerned as you. And the reason why, and I think we, we all kind of get this is that he's at Duke university where, you know, everyone is the top dog in their high school or in their state and they come to Duke and all of a sudden there can't be more than, you know, a couple of big fish in the pond they're all big fishes in their own ponds and they're all trying to swim in the same lake like that. Like he's going to, there's going to be times where some of these guys get lost amongst the other players. Right. And there's going to be times. I mean, even last year, Paul Bencaro, they had, he has some games where people would say he quote unquote disappeared where he didn't have a good night, but it's incumbent on the rest of the team to pick him up. Right. So I think, again, I think his game is very raw, maybe, maybe more raw than we realize, but that's not a bad thing because we still have time to work on some of these things. And again, to get him ready for the rigors of college basketball, the quickness of college basketball, and to learn that, hey, on any given night, there's going to be a guy who's 6'11", just like you, who can dribble the ball, just like you, who can take you in the post, who can shoot threes, and is going to try and neutralize your game. But you still have to be able to rise above that. They'll learn that during the summer. The great thing is some of these transfers that are coming in uh, that we have on this team and Jeremy Roach and Jalen Blakes are going to teach them about the rigors of not just playing college basketball, but Jalen Blakes and Jeremy Roach are going to teach them about how Duke basketball works and how people will take, give you your best shot every single night. You know, somehow we've gone this far and we haven't mentioned either Mark Mitchell or Derek Whitehead. And by the way, one of the reasons I'm not that worried if Kyle Filipowski struggles a little bit figuring out what's going to work is because Mark Mitchell, dude, is an athlete. Yeah, he had... He had the most impressive dunk on the uh, in that scrimmage. He had the most impressive dunk, and he had, I thought, the 
the best three. Like that's versatility for you. Like he had a you know a nice little three towards the end of the scrimmage. Yeah, and I don't know that we're gonna we're not gonna see a lot of that. We're not gonna see a lot of but the fact, <laughs> but here's the thing. I like that because if he can hit that, not necessarily he's I'm not asking him to shoot three or four times a game and hit three or four, but if he can hit one, that little thing just plants in a defense's mind. Man, now I gotta like after all the things he's doing on the inside, now I have to guard him a little bit further outside that just spreads the court even more. Super quick, the difference in Mitchell's three and like Jaden shoots three is Jaden shoot hit his three pointer, just turned around, ran back, no big deal. Mark Mitchell hit his three and he was like, Yeah, he was flexing and everybody was real excited about it. You can tell it's not quite as ordinary an experience as Jaden shoot hitting a three. And by the way, how about Dariq Whitehead, who, yeah. you know, I, I, I told you that Derek Lively looks like he's, he's, you know, ready to go. Kyle Filipowski and Jason, you mentioned that that there are some turnovers and things that he needs to clean up, but but pretty advanced skill set overall. Dariq Whitehead just looks like he he like stepped right into Wendell Moore's shoes, you know, like he's yeah. he's he's very ready to be a secondary ball handler. Um, I'm excited. I, I didn't see enough of this in this video, but excited to see how he plays on defense. And if Mitchell's coming in for for energy to spell Dariq Whitehead, I mean, man, what a what a combo on the wing those two guys are going to be. I, I thought I was hoping Derek Whitehead would be a little more assertive on offense. Like if you ask me right now, who's going to lead this team in scoring? Sorry. If you'd asked me before I saw this videotape, I would have said Derek Whitehead's going to lead Duke in scoring next year. I might still say that I'm sort of, like I said, I'm sort of leaning a little more toward Jeremy Roach at the moment, but, but I thought uh, I, we would see a little more aggressive shot creation out of Derek Whitehead. And it may have just been, you know, again, a six minute video and he's letting other guys do their thing. But his body looks unbelievably sculpted. He's clearly really, really skilled. And, and the times he did decide to take the ball to the hole or, or pull up and take shots, he, he just looks like a, a walking bucket. I will say this. There was, a, there was a fast break where he pulled up from about 18 and took a very smooth-looking jumper that he knocked down. You know, nice shot. Not, not the most efficient shot. <laughs> I hate those mid-range jumpers. It was a, it was a Kyle Singler, too. Yeah, I, I am resigned at this point to the fact that I am going to look at the Derek Whitehead shot chart next year and grouch and moan about it the same way I did Paulo Bancaro's shot chart much of last year. Yeah, I Jason, just... we 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 complained about <laughs> Paulo's shot chart all the time, about him taking the long twos. And here's another preview for something that's coming up next. He went first in the draft and so far in summer league. I know that the returns are are limited, but it seems like everybody seems to be enjoying the uh, yeah. Paulo Bancaro experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and with Whitehead, I think it's funny if there was one of the freshmen that I thought looked like a sophomore, it was Derek Whitehead. He just, he just seemed so smooth with everything that he did. And like you said, he did have to do everything super well, but he was just, you know, all well-rounded and, and he's going to be the best all around player on this team. I think, you know, with the offense and the defense, I think he's going to be able to stretch teams and also take him to the rack pass shoot dunk he 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 feel it feels like he does everything very very smoothly and i think that's going to continue to improve over the rest of the summer and he was playing on a team with jalen blakes but i noticed that he was bringing the ball up the floor almost as much if not you know more than jalen blakes was that's not to to mean make blakes's contribution but i think it shows you how much duke wants the ball in Derek whitehead's hands and that means there's going to be another option, right? Because like we did last year where we had sometimes three or four ball handlers on the floor, 
it's always good to have more people who can handle the ball on the floor because you have more options on what to do with the basketball. So having Dariq Whitehead be able to do that is key. Not that it's happening necessarily on the court and not the biggest deal, but I also liked getting a few clips of Jay Lucas firing the guys up oh, yeah. from the sideline. Yeah. Uh, this is the first time that we've seen him in a quote-unquote Duke uniform uh, in, in any of these videos. And so that was that was pretty cool, too. He was he, he, at times he looked like he was ready to just jump back in and play, which, you know, sometimes, especially with the, with this assistant uh, core, like that's always going to be possible. Yeah, I remember uh, seeing some some stuff last year about John Shire and Nolan Smith reminding the young fellows that they're still in pretty good shape. You know, they, still they, they might be on the they might be on the wrong side of 30, but they're not that far on the wrong side of 30. And, uh, and he's sure not he's he's on the he's on he's on the short side of 30. So, yeah. Jay, Jay Lucas is, is probably uh, could probably show the guys a few moves still. Yeah. So we will end it there with the uh, with the wait, 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 guys, I, I got to ask. All right. Hold on. I want to ask this seriously. If they played a three on three, Jay Lucas, Emil Jefferson and John Shire. I, actually, maybe it should be two on two. Maybe it should just be Jay Lucas. I, I don't know. No, no, no. I like this question. No, three. I like three. three. On three. Keep going. Three Keep on three. Keep okay. Because I think Shire may be getting a little bit out of shape <laughs> you know he, he's got other things he's worrying about but so could those three guys compete could they beat in fact like uh, what would be the three and three uh, yeah Whitehead, jeremy roach, lively and roach. White, white yeah whitehead lively and roach who yes. would you take i yeah i i would take the coaches i think uh, i would take the coaches because i think emil jefferson would just own the post i the, think oh the, yeah the, the yeah. thing that we the thing that we sometimes underrate about this and, and and you can see this if, if you see these guys like scrimmaging against the NBA players or or even guys who are of like Shire and, and Jay Lucas's age is that there is a level of like experience and understanding among them about where to find angles on the court and stuff that those perhaps more athletic, uh, younger, more spry guys just don't have don't have the reps on yet. So I bet, you know, in a in a different sort of athletic competition, they would lose. But John Shire and Emil Jefferson and Jay Lucas can probably just glance at each other and figure out how to how to find the right spots on the floor, uh, pick up the right guys on defense, et cetera. Jason. So I, I would take them. I think it'd be a fun matchup. I would like, you know what? Now we need to tell the Duke men's basketball media folks <laughs> that, uh, uh, that, that they is need not to happening. that raw and cut. That is not uh, happening. Look, Jason, this you're a movie guy. This is like a kung, any kung fu movie you've ever seen in your life. At the beginning, there's some dude that doesn't know kung fu teacher keeps destroying student right at a certain point the student beats the teacher and then the teacher's like the student is ready right now the the coaches would probably i, I won't say they would wax the floor with them but they would get they would pretty handily beat them toward like the uh, the goal is by the end of the summer that the, that the three players would then be beating the coaches and the coaches go okay these guys are ready but right now i feel jefferson coaches Emil Jefferson would block one of Derek Lively's shots that Lively was not expecting. <laughs> and then all this, like all three of them would look up and be like, Oh, Oh, oh no, <laughs> we got work to do. <laughs> so we will leave it there with the scrimmage. Again, we love overanalyzing that, but it's a lot of fun to do. So, and I know a lot of people have been watching that video over the last couple of days. So we'll take a break on the other side. A big opponent has decided to tango with Duke. We will tell you who that is and summer league. How did our blue devils do? Stick around to find out.
We are back, and John Shire has been an active recruiter of players lately, but now he has landed his first big-time home-and-home series. On Monday, Duke announced uh, – Monday was a very big day in Duke sports. Um, but Monday, Duke announced that they have scheduled a home-and-home series with Arizona to take place in 2023 and 2024. The teams will meet in Cameron on November 10th, 2023, which will be next season. And then on November 21st, 2024, the teams will face off in Tucson. The teams have played nine times before. Arizona holds a 5-4 edge over Duke, but they haven't seen each other since November 2013. Of course, they famously have faced off in the NCAA tournament twice, Arizona beating Duke in the Sweet 16 back in 2011, and Duke in 2001 claiming its third national championship at Arizona's expense. Sam, I recall a few months ago when we were discussing what changes we wanted to see in the Shire era, you mentioned that one of them was to see Duke take more risks with this non-conference schedule and play teams on the road and have big-time teams come to Cameron. Is this in line with what you were hoping? I love this move by John Shire and the Duke program. I don't want to claim that I called that this was going to happen. And if you had asked me to pick a program that this was that Duke was going to do this with, I certainly wouldn't have picked Arizona. It's not like Tucson is in a hotbed for Duke alumni. So, so there won't, I assume, be a ton of Duke fans at the game in Arizona. But there are a few things that I think this accomplishes for Duke. One is getting to play in Pacific time which is, is great for Duke fans who are out on the West Coast. And especially, you know, if we're talking about midweek games, sometimes it's hard to watch if they're on the earlier side. I think it also gets Duke into a really tough environment, the kind of environment that Duke might face in a first-round NCAA tournament game that's in, like, a Greensboro or a Charlotte or a Raleigh, where, you know, you might have a ton of, of UNC or UVA or, or some other fan base in the building. So Duke is going to have to contend with that. Um, and I also think that, you know, looking at this from a more like macro conference realignment thing, this might be one of the harbingers of the ACC and members of the conferences that are, you know, sort of losing out in conference realignment, the PAC 12, of course, for Arizona, and then the big 12, maybe an indicator that, that those conferences are trying to come together. We didn't see anything in the announcement about, you know, a coordination between Duke and the ACC and Arizona and, and, and the Pac-12 about making this happen. But I wouldn't be surprised if this is the beginning of Duke being more open to scheduling games like this, because let's face it, if Duke is only playing Delaware State at home in Cameron for their entire non-conference schedule, while the ACC potentially gets further rated of good basketball programs, Florida State being a perfect example of this, if Florida State goes to one of the major conferences uh, then Duke loses a, a key conference opponent, then, yeah, I, I'm, I'm thrilled with Duke getting to play Arizona. Not a program that has been, like, top of the top in recent years, but has, had, has put together some very competitive teams. They've had big seeds. Uh, and, and historically, you know, if you look over the last 20, 30 years, definitely one of the best programs on, on the West Coast or, or in the Western half of the country. So I am thrilled about this move by Duke, and I hope we get to see more of it. Yeah, I, and I like I liked the fact that it's home and home, right? Like, it's one thing, you know, a couple, I mentioned we've played them nine times, only a couple of times in the ACC tournament, or I'm sorry, the NCAA tournament, and only a couple of times at each other's house. We've gone to Tucson a couple of times. They've only come to Cameron once before. The rest were neutral sites. And that was the MO before. We would schedule these big time games as part of 
you know, some classic or some preseason tournament or just a one-off game in the Meadowlands or in, in a Madison Square Garden or even on the West Coast. But I like the fact that we're taking it to him on the road, that Arizona is going to come to Cameron. And that is a boon for, I mean, obviously, if you think about it, it's going to be a boon for the ticket office because there's going to be a lot of ticket requests for that game. That's a pretty marquee matchup, no matter how you slice it. So I really like that part of it. And I hope it's a sign of, uh, as you as you hoped for back in April, I was I think I was aligned with you, hoping that they take more risk with with some of that. It doesn't have to be a murderer's row of non-conference games, but as this conference realignment comes about, the non-conference schedule may become more important. And I think that's what Duke is lining itself up to be is, hey, even if there is going to be some switching around in 2024 of teams going to different conferences, we still will have a non-conference schedule that's going to be legit. Jason, what do you think? So there are two things about this. The first one is we have all been wondering if John Shire is going to be a carbon copy of, of Mike Krzyzewski. Uh, because, and it's easy to think that he probably would be because he, he you know played his entire college career under Coach K and then his entire coaching career has been under Coach K. So it would be very easy to think he's going to follow the Coach K playbook. And I think we're starting to get more and more indications that John Shire is not going to be He's going to be cut from the Coach K cloth, but he is going to be a different kind of coach. And one of the things is he is going to welcome playing home and home, you know, with other prominent college basketball programs, which is something that Coach K has not done for a long time, a long time. In fact, it is believed that this will be the first time Duke will voluntarily schedule a non-conference road game since we played St. John's. In 2008, I mean, that's that's like crazy. I feel like uh, the St. John's games were way more recent than that, right? Wait, wait, sorry, sorry. Hold it. I had it wrong. It's since we played Michigan in 2008. The person who, who was saying this was saying the St. John's games at, at, that we played at MSG, they were like, that doesn't count. That's like, it, it, This is playing on a, a team's actual home floor, you know, in front of their, you know, an, an on-campus court. It's the first time since Michigan in 2000. I apologize. I had St. John's and Michigan back to back in my notes and I had it wrong. So it's been a long time. And this is an indication that John Shire is going to do this differently than Coach K did. That's part one of my response to all this stuff. Part two is I hate Michigan. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I hate Arizona. I can't stand <laughs> whoa, them. Whoa, whoa. What do we do? Why yeah. are we in it? <laughs> yeah. That, Jason, the, the, the confusion on the opponents here is, is becoming uh, confusing for me. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> I will restate it. Hate Arizona. And I don't like playing at Arizona. And the reason is because I have a long enough memory. This goes back before your time, gentlemen. 1991, February of 1991, Duke played at the McHale Center in Tucson. And the Pac-12 refs, they may, it may have been Pac-10 at the time. I mean, Pac-whatever. Pac-8, Pac-4, doesn't matter. Pac-8. That, uh, some of the worst officiating you'll ever see. Coach K was furious about the game. You can go on YouTube and watch a replay of it. There's a play in overtime. Duke lost the game in two overtimes. In the first overtime, there is a play where Greg Kubek hits a three-pointer. It is clearly like, it's not even like his feet are close to the line. It is abundantly clear that it is a three-pointer. And the refs, a couple minutes later, reversed it and said, no, no, no it was only worth two points. And, and this was at a moment when you, every point mattered. Duke, Duke wins the game if they don't reduce, if they don't change that, that call because it went to a second overtime. That's an extra point. And that wasn't the it, Duke, by the way, was called for 35,000 this game. It's a record 
Still to this day, no team has been called for more fouls at the McHale Center than Duke was in that game in 1991. And after that game, Coach K was like, I'm never playing these beep ever again at their place. Coach K was like, we're not doing it. I don't, he's like, I'm not going and back. he was and right. Playing. Yeah. He's, I'm not going back and playing with those pack 10, eight, 12, whatever officials ever again. And that's one of the reasons that Duke started to give up road games. Coach K was just like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with this anymore. And so, I mean, I guess it's good that John Shire's doing it again, but I wish he wasn't doing it with the, perhaps the worst school we could be doing it against Arizona, bunch of cheaters, in my opinion. Jason, your memory is also 30 years old. So uh, it's possible that things have changed since then. I do want to address one comment, which is that, you know, for years we've talked about the schedule and the way that Duke doesn't schedule non-conference road games. And I think we all came to the same conclusion that it would be more fun if Duke did this. It's not the most important thing for preparing for the NCAA tournament and that Duke prioritizes the the neutral site games, the, the MSGs, the Verizon centers or cap one center. I think we're, we're now calling it in, in Washington, United center, et cetera. All of that is great. This to me is replacing the Delaware state games, not the Iowa at MSG games. And so I'm, I'm totally cool with, with Duke filling out this part of the non-conference schedule this way. Like I said, it's more fun this way. Uh, it, I don't know if it's better tournament preparation. I'm not sure that Duke is getting the McHale Center environment in any NCAA tournament game, even if it is a game, you know, alongside a UNC game in Raleigh. But um, but it's fun for Duke fans. And so, therefore, I will be excited about it. I think the only thing that I, I'm curious about when we're talking about filling out, I, I, we're already looking towards, you know, the 2023-2024 schedule, but uh, the date of that first game is November 10th, which is right around where you would normally see Duke in the Champions Classic. Now, I know the Champions Classic is this year. I'm pretty sure that this is the last year of like, I think this might be the third or fourth iteration of the contract that they have with, with the uh, four schools, Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, and Michigan State. I'm wondering if they're going to push even push that even further back um, if they continue to go with it or if they decide to go in a different direction. Because again, I think there's going to be a lot of turnover with schedules and with uh, how teams are organized for these, uh, these early season tournaments in the next couple of years, as realignment kind of takes more shape uh, because 2024, 2025 is when we're going to start seeing teams move around uh, piece by piece. So uh, interested to see how this Arizona game affects when the champions classic happens and, or if, if we're even in it. Well, the, the I, I believe that all those four schools have renewed uh, like for another three or four years, the Champions okay. classic. So good, it, good. It'll still exist, but, but you're right. The date I think is fungible. And I think that they were, I think they are looking at going a little bit later in November with it. That sounds great. And it, it, I don't know if it'll replace the, you know, another preseason tournament. Cause I do like that. We do that. Obviously we have PK 85 this year. We've done Maui and Bahamas and, and all these other ones recently. So uh, I, I do like that we we have those in there, and this is just going to add to that. Um, so uh, I'm really looking forward to this. I know fans on both sides of, of you know, both Arizona fans and Duke fans are very excited about this home and home series. Um, people already hitting me up for tickets for the Cameron game, and if you are in Tucson, holler at me, holler at this podcast, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Um, I do want to shift to our final topic, which is NBA Summer League, which just wrapped up, and we had ten players competing on ten teams throughout the last couple of weeks. Of course, the five draft picks 
uh, that we just had in the recent NBA draft were all in action. Paul Van Carroll, Wendell Moore, Mark Williams, Trevor Keels, and Aja Griffin. But we also had five other members of the Brotherhood that were in summer league rosters. Jack White with the Nuggets, Vernon Carey with the Wizards, DJ Stewart with the Kings, Javin Delorier with the Spurs, and Matthew Hurt with the Milwaukee Bucks. So, Jason, I, I know you had a quick breakdown of how some of these guys did. So take it away. What do you got for us? What, I mean, we, you could start with Paul Bancaro because I know a lot of people are talking about that, but take it wherever you want to go. How did our guys do in summer league? I mean, I can start with Paulo, but I'd rather start with Jack White because this do is it. one of the this is one of the great stories to come out of summer league. It's it's just shocking. I mean, uh, it, the guy played for Melbourne United in the uh, Australian league, and uh, you know it, he he averaged nine points and seven rebounds per game in in the Australian NBL last year. Uh, you know, those are good numbers, but they aren't like incredible numbers. He came over here to play in summer league. He averaged eight points per game, six and a half rebounds per game, 1.3 blocks. But that was good enough. The Denver Nuggets saw something they really liked from Jack White, and they've signed him to a two-way contract. That means he can play in up to 50 NBA games this coming season. He, he does not make a full NBA salary. He'll make uh, essentially half of the rookie minimum, which is right around like $510,000, $520,000, somewhere in that ballpark. That's really good money. That's better money than he was making in the Aussie NBL last year. And it is just, it's so great for him to hear that, that this is how Jack's career is, is sort of turning and shaping. And uh, he, he's a guy who, who does all the little things on the floor. Like he's not going to, not going to get a lot of points. He's going to get, but he's going to get a lot of rebounds. He's going to set a lot of screens. He's going to play hard defense. He's a sneaky shot blocker. He really is a very, he's a good sneaky shot blocker. He just makes the other guys around him better. He plays smart. He talks a lot. And the Denver Nuggets saw enough that they've given him a two-way contract. That's a big deal. Look, Matthew Hurt, DJ Stewart, Vernon Carey. I mean, these guys are kind of looking for two-way contracts. And, and here's Jack White who goes ahead and gets one. And I just think it's so great for him. And I wanted to let you guys know, you haven't heard this yet. I've spoken to the Denver Nuggets PR office, and they tell me that they're going to try and get us an interview with Jack White sometime in the next week or two. I'm be really great. looking forward to that. It is also, Jason, you have to realize, and I, I, you know, for those of you out there, let's set the scene. The last time we saw Jack White really in a Duke uniform was that UNC game back in 2020, right before COVID hit, right before the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament was canceled. He goes home to Australia. Australia goes on a severe lockdown. I mean, a very rigid lockdown that really just ended a few months ago. So for the better part of two years, he has not been able to even return to the United States to get seen in summer league or try to make a roster or be in a training camp. He was in the NBL for two years and was just applying his trade very close to home, but was, but wait, by the way, Donald, he, he got injured. I think, I don't think he tore his Achilles. I think he tore his ACL. He had a bad mm -hmm. leg injury. He didn't play for a year. Like, you know, you're right between COVID and injury. Jack had missed a lot of basketball. Yeah, and for him to be seen enough in those two years to get an invitation to the Summer League and then for him to use that opportunity to his advantage and earn the two-way deal, I think is remarkable. That you don't see that a lot from anybody, uh, but especially for someone who has been two years removed from college, you might see that from someone who has, you know, kind of, hey, I'll make the G League roster and then try and play my way up 
to the league uh, that way. But you rarely see it from guys who are two or three years out of college to earn that contract, especially when they are in a foreign country that you can't even scout because you couldn't even enter the country. So that's really, I mean, that speaks to the volumes of the NBL, which is one of the better leagues in the world outside of the United States. More and more players have been plying their trade there. And really it, the, the, the exposure that you're getting in Australia and the NBL has increased a lot over the last few years and has worked to Jack White's advantage. So congratulations to him. I'm, I'm really glad that he'll get to be playing I mean, up to 50 games, we're not like, don't expect him to start with the Nuggets on, on day one, but you know, game two or three, we should expect to see him in the starting lineup right next to Nikola Jokic. So, um, but I really <laughs> appreciate uh, that he was able to you know, just be perseverant and really just, you know, bide his time and, and play his game and work his way back from all those obstacles and make it into the NBA. This man, is, it, it, it may, may, may be a two-way deal, but it's an NBA two-way deal, not the other way around. So congratulations to him. Donald, can we talk a little bit about some of the other guys? Because as great as sure. it is for Jack White, Duke's got all these new guys who have just left the program who are going to be in the NBA. And I know we said earlier about how great Paulo Bancaro has been. Wow, how great has Paulo Bancaro been uh, in, in the summer league? Perhaps perhaps the uh, the biggest performer. Not that we should have expected anything otherwise because he was obviously the top pick. Uh, had all kinds of hype coming into summer league and didn't come in with any, with any restrictions, no injuries or anything, um, but looked extremely smooth, uh, brought that, that advanced offensive game, not just shooting the basketball as we were referencing earlier, but also making plays on offense, finding guys um, off the dribble, finding interesting uh, passes to make. So I, I think that the, the magic are probably thrilled about the development of Paulo Bancaro and the showing that he had in summer league. Sam, Paulo 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 averages six assists per game. It is clear that Orlando is running their offense. They're at least thinking about running their offense through him. 20 points per game, six assists per game. Big, big number for him. Now, he did average five turnovers per game. He's going to have to work on that. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, his his ability to distribute and, and be the focal point of their offense was fully on display in summer league. If he has an assist to turnover ratio that's that's on the positive side and he's getting that many assists, you feel like you have to you have to accept that sort of thing. Mark Williams got a fair amount of playing time during summer league. Didn't show out quite as much. Um, clear that he's still kind of getting up to speed on on NBA basketball. Um, but I think a lot of generally positive returns, right, Jason? About uh, eventually, it feels like he's gonna he's gonna figure that out. Yeah, I, I think one of the challenges in summer league, if you're a big man who does not sort of create shots for yourself, like Paulo, of course, does it for himself. Mark Williams needs someone else to set him up. That that doesn't, you know, these summer league teams, they get kind of thrown together at the last minute. They don't have a lot of time that they get to work together. It's, it's going to be tough for a guy like Mark Williams to get a lot of opportunity, you know, especially from a scoring standpoint in summer league. But he averaged 7.4 rebounds per game. 1.4 block shots per game, and he only played 19 minutes per game. So if you look at those numbers over a a bigger, you know, playing time kind of number, Mark Williams, you know, he the, the big thing in summer league, I think, is not to show that you're the greatest. It's to show that you belong on the floor and that you're not completely outclassed. And there's no question that Mark Williams looked really good in his, you know, sometimes limited playing time. And you have to learn, you have to show that you can be coached because you're going to be coached by some of the assistant coaches, not always the, uh, 
Uh, in fact, in almost every circumstance, it's not the head coach that's coaching you, it's the assistant coaches. So he's starting to get relationships with them. But really, when it comes to offense, he's just got to remember that whoever was passing him the ball in summer league, his name was not LaMelo Ball because that's the guy that's going to be passing the ball or at least trying to feed him the ball in the post during the regular season. And LaMelo Ball is an excellent passer. He loves lobs. And, you know, Mark Williams is they got him because they know that some of those lobs he's going to be able to jump up and get. And any whenever they're in transition, he's able to run the floor very quickly. He's going to be the rece- receive of a lot of dunks, uh, courtesy of LaMelo Ball and some of the other guys on that team. Oh, yeah. No, I said that on draft. When we did our draft podcast, I was like, the Lamelo Ball, Lamelo Ball to Mark Williams combination is just going to be lethal, guys. Mm-hmm. I actually think, after Paulo, I think the guy who looked the second best of any of the Dukies out there was Wendell Moore, who just showed so much versatility for Minnesota. Toward the end of summer league, I noticed that he was running point guard for Minnesota for that Minnesota team a lot, and it is not impossible to imagine him getting some backup point guard kind of role for the Minnesota Timberwolves this year. Do you know who the current backup point guard for the Minnesota Timberwolves is Jordan McLaughlin, who, who apparently went to USC. I'll be honest. I don't really remember him in college all that well, but he, he's not exactly a great NBA player. I think there's a potential role for Mark William. I'm sorry for, for, for uh, Wendell Moore as, as someone who, who plays some backup point guard for, for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And, and he just, you know, he just looked, tough in control he was talking all the time and i thought wendell like i said arguably the second best dookie of anybody in summer league yeah and he did very well and and again he showed why you know you don't have to be the greatest at anything when you're really good at everything so he was able to you know do everything very well and show that he could be a guy that you want on the basketball court because if you need defense he's got it if you need a three-pointer he's got it if you need transition he's got it if you need passing he's got it like he's got a lot of stuff so uh i what the great thing about you know these performances in summer league is that they can take that home they're going to obviously start working on the preseason uh and you know preseason is just around the corner usually opens in you know early september for a lot of teams so they're going to get a few weeks break but they're really going to get right back at it a lot of them are already back uh training and in prep for preseason and these guys hopefully will use that to their advantage. I know um, on the we, we have to talk about the good and the bad. You know, we, we had that. There's a video earlier today about, uh, I guess, a bunch of NBA players were playing pickup um, at Lifetime Fitness, one of the the elite gyms uh, in New York City. And Donovan Mitchell um, welcomed Paulo Bancaro to the NBA in a big way um, with a dunk over him that broke the backboard at said gym. So, uh, I mean, that's. That happens, and he's going to learn that, yo, hey, sometimes, you know, an all-star is going to get the best of you on any given night. Yo, rookies going to be rookies. Rookies are going to be rookies. And they literally, I think literally as he dunked, he said, welcome to the NBA. And I think, but here's what we know. Paulo will take that. And next time he lines up on the court against Donovan Mitchell, he's going to make sure that Donovan Mitchell does not get that dunk off. And, and that's going to be the great thing. He's very good about not making the same mistake twice. So he's going to take what he learned what he did well and what he didn't do well. And he's going to apply that moving forward. And I think he's going to have a great, great season with the magic, but we are going to wrap it up. But before we do very quickly, I just want to note we were talking about former Dukies. I told you we had the Asian cup. Marquise Bolden, who is a naturalized citizen of Indonesia. He got naturalized last year because 
they were trying to recruit him to play basketball for their national team. He led their team to a gold medal in the Southeast Asian Games last summer. This summer, he is in the Asian Cup. And the other day against Saudi Arabia, this man went off. I'm just going to give you three of his stats that he had. He had 32 points, 16 rebounds, and six blocks in that game. Just absolutely a monster. Uh, Every highlight was him taking the ball, turning around, seeing some dude in his face, and going, yeah, I'm Shaquille O'Neal to you, son and just absolutely murdering him on his way to the basket and dunking the ball with authority. Great. You know, it's a name we haven't heard in a while, but I'm super glad that he's doing so well on the national team, on the Indonesian national team. Uh, Marquise Bolden, our man. Yeah. I saw some of the highlights of this and yeah, I mean, it's great. It's great for him and I'm sure he's enjoying it and he's becoming, you know, a little bit of a, a cult hero, so to speak over there in Indonesia. This is not super high level basketball. No, it is not. <laughs> Saudi Arabia but, is not going for any FIBA World Cups or or gold medals at the Olympics. Right, but but Marquise is dunking all over these poor fools. It's kind of fun. Hey, you play the teams that are in front of you, and in this case, he took Saudi Arabia and he threw them to the side as he dunked all over them. So, congratulations, Marquise Bolden. Hope you keep that play going in the Asia Cup as in, as Indonesia continues. But that will do it for episode four thirty four of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, continue to send us emails. We love hearing from you. And remember, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. If you have a question or topic that you wish to have us discuss, please send it to us. We actually might have some room on a show down the line in the next week or so for a few of those as we move through the summer. Also, like, subscribe, rate, review the show. Five stars. You know we appreciate it. So for Sam Klein and for Jason Evans, I am Donald Wine, and it is now time for the Duke Band to take us up. Oh, Donald, should I tell you about Nope? I saw Nope. Tell me. Actually, I was going to chime in and say Nope. But I, I do want I do want to hear. Yep. <laughs> so it's uh, it's not it's not as good as Get Out. I think it's better than Us. It, it is yet again Jordan Peele sort of doing some interesting interesting things about like Hollywood and our culture of watching people mm-hmm. and putting that into a a horror story and it is so, it is really good horror at times like there's a solid hour mm-hmm. uh, like in the middle where i was just absolutely glued to the screen could not tear my eyes away i could feel my chest my heart pumping because there was so much tension going on it's really good all that said it doesn't really stick the landing like i enjoyed the ride the the ride is great but the landing i was a little bit like eh, it's kind of it's kind of falling apart here at the end but but it was still it's it's an excellent movie. It, it he he's doing the best horror stuff out there right now. He is. I, I have no idea what the hell happened to him in Key and Peele for him to go in this direction that he's going yeah. with these movies. But I love it. Like it's not like he was like, yeah, I want to try horror, see how it works. He has gone so like right brained with some of this stuff 
that it's crazy. Um, and yeah, and you know, I somehow I put it, it all together. I called it horror. It's more, it's more like a thriller. It's like a suspense, sci-fi. Yeah, sci-fi suspense, you know, mystery thriller kind of thing more than it is mm-hmm. true horror. Like there aren't people being, you know, killed by the bad guy every five minutes in this movie, not by a long, long stretch. But it's it's really fun. You're gonna love it. It's really fun. Yeah, I'm not a horror flick guy, right? Like, yeah, horror, like you know, Killer Clowns from Outer Space is like the scariest movie I've ever seen in my life, and <laughs> that's because they they turn that's... fools into cotton candy, like. That I mean, and for a while I didn't eat cotton candy, but like it wasn't like it was more the suspense part. Like the suspense is what I love. Like the you know, the whole horror, like, yo, don't go in there, someone's gonna chop you up. Like that doesn't phase me. But like going around a corner and seeing like you know something appear out of nowhere, that's that's the stuff. And that's what Jordan Peele's kind of taken to another level. And there there are a couple moments in this movie where something sort of pops out or pops does something up, yeah. unexpected, and you're and I was just like, I jumped. I, yeah. legit jumped and then the other thing about it is you mentioned the key and peel background like he still has that comedic sensibility mm-hmm. there are a couple moments where something's happening and literally like daniel kaluuya goes nope and, <laughs> and the whole theater just howls i mean like nope is a great title for this movie because there right. are a bunch of moments you're just like nope not uh-uh not doing that that is a mistake i am not going there and well really uh, it was really funny the trailer like you're waiting for someone to just to say something like that. Like, nope. And in the trailer, they just go, oh, hell no. Nah. And everyone's like, wait. What is this? And then they're like, no, nope is not of planet Earth. And everybody's like, oh, this dude's a genius already. Like, I thought yeah, it was just yeah. like some comedic horror thing. No, it's, it's, you know, it's extraterrestrial. Let's do it. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. You'll like it. You'll like it. <laughs>